0: All right, so we're going through this uh, book of James, which as we talked about last week, it's really one of those uh, parts of the Bible that's, that's talking about where the rubber really hits the road, where it's uh, real life stuff, sometimes easy, sometimes hard, and it, it's the living out of the good news of Jesus. And, and today, one of the passages we're going to look at contains what some of the New Testament scholars say is the theological center of the book. And in what they're saying is, if we don't get some parts of this little opening portion here in this first chapter, we won't understand the rest of the book. We'll kind of misunderstand what James is all about. It'll feel a little bit like we're just getting beat up every time we show up. And therefore, we won't understand it. And then we won't be able to live out the good news of Jesus in the way that God, our Father, intends us to do so. So we have got to really kind of zero in on this passage today. But here's the thing. When we dive into it, I think we're going to find that at least half of us absolutely disagree with what James has to say. Because this is one of those passages where the good news of Jesus and the followers of Jesus move in a diametrically opposite direction to the way in which society today tells us to move. It's a passage that's going to cause this this clash between followers of Jesus... And followers of the way of our society comes head to head and smashes about because it'll be in opposition to everything culture tells us from everything from our career choices to our sexuality. So right here is going to be the the battleground. And so we're going to have to try and go very carefully and and really uh, try and figure this whole thing out. Now, before we get into it, I have to fess up. Uh, You know, I, I try to study quite a bit uh, for, for the preaching, uh, and as you know, I've, I've never had an original idea in my, my, in my life, and so all of this stuff is, you know, the compilation of a whole bunch of, of research that I do, and usually it's a blend of all of that stuff, but I've got to tell you that today, uh, probably 80% of my thinking uh, comes from a, a lecture by a New Testament scholar, Miriam Kovalitian. Is that how you say it, Laurel? Covalition? So it's, it's a professor of New Testament at... Uh, Regent College talked a little bit about her last last week, whose specialty is the Book of James. And so uh, she she has this uh, brilliant. A lecture which I honestly it, it really helped me and we're going to talk quite a bit about that so if, if I mess it up it's my mess up not hers okay because I may misunderstand some things but you need to know that a lot of what I'm going to say comes from that lecture there's other stuff too which backs it up but but I want to just uh you know avoid plagiarism in a very direct <laughs> way with that kind of stuff okay so here's the thing here's what this passage is going to ask of us okay so here's the question it's this am I a child of God or a child of desire? Am I a child of God or am I a child of desire? Now in some sense, obviously we're all the product of a child of desire, I hope, because mum and dad and all that kind of stuff. But that's not really what, 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 what we're driving at. What we're talking about is, is the way in which we act and the way in which we live, that shows what our parent is. That shows uh, what guides our life. That shows what, what we have within us that, that we live out. So here's the question we're dealing with. It's, am I a child of God or am I going to be a child of my desires? Okay, that's the question. So let's crack it open and watch. We'll read the first part of it. James chapter 1, verse 12 through verse 15, First little bit: Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, right? We talked a lot about this last week, okay? So he's carrying on here. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted. When? When we mess up, what's this temptation? This person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to sin death. Hmm. This whole first little passage here is dealing then with trials and temptations. Now verse 12, if you look at verse 12, it's what we call a hinge verse. It's a verse that ties together what we looked at last week, this whole trial thing, and where James is going under the inspiration of the Spirit for the future. It it makes a hinge and it all has to do with trials and temptation. Now, here's the thing. The word for trial and the word for temptation is the same Greek word, okay? But what he's kind of been driving at here is now he's going to talk about not just the trials, which maybe we jump into, we saw last week, that trials can be a good thing, right? But, but this is now the other side because what comes with every trial is a temptation. Verse 13 begins to turn the clock for us a little bit from the trials that, hey, we're all going to have these trials, these difficulties of, of life, of health, of circumstances, all, all that stuff, diving in to help people, all that stuff. But now we're going to talk about, okay, but sometimes those difficulties comes with, a temptation to respond in a way that does not bring glory to God. Okay. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is intent. The difference is intent because we know in scripture that God does test his people. He brings tests to us. He tested Abraham and Isaac. Remember, that's the big famous story, you know, okay, you know, can't have a kid, get an old age, have Isaac, okay, go up and sacrifice Isaac, I'm going to go and trust that God is going to provide elsewhere. That was a test to mature Abraham. And some of those tests we saw last week, God matures us. His intention of putting us through this difficult time is to make us more Christ-like. To burn off the junk of our lives and to begin to make us being forged into the image of Christ carrying the suffering of the world. We saw that whole thing. So the intent of God testing us is to make us mature. And even when God doesn't bring it into us, maybe we dive in or maybe it's circumstances of life that that just happen because we live in a a, a broken world. God's going to use that time to mature us. Remember that whole thing in Romans that we looked at last time. Temptation is different. Temptation has a crafty, malicious intent. Temptation is the enticement to sin. Now, be careful. Temptation itself is not sin, right? Because even Jesus was tempted, right? That's that whole thing, right? And so it's not, that, it's not that we have this idea that we want to do something that doesn't bring God glory. But it's the idea that it's going to lead us towards that. And if we follow through with that... Then it becomes sin. So we go through trials and sometimes we succumb to temptation. And we end up in sin. But when we, when we face this temptation, carried within to every temptation, is a very, very deadly, dangerous, sort of secondary, under the, under the radar temptation that comes up. And it is the temptation to blame. When I mess up, when you mess up, I mess up for sure. But maybe if this is true of you as well, I think it is. There's this temptation to come up with excuses. There's this temptation to say, well, it wasn't really my fault. It was actually somebody else's fault. I mean, this has been true of us from the Garden of Eden on, right? I mean, what happened? You know, they partake. Of the, uh, the forbidden fruit. They decide, no, oh, we want to be like God. We want to decide what's right. We want to decide what's wrong. God shows up and what does Adam do? Hey, no, it wasn't my fault. This woman that you gave me, I, I'm not to blame. I'm clean here. I've got two other people to blame. I've got this woman to blame. Sorry, she shouldn't uh, put it right here. I've got this woman to blame and I've got you to blame. It's this temptation that we want to blame others. Now, very often it comes down to blaming God. As you know, and I've told you many times, for many, many years, thankfully, God, by His Spirit, has given me, I hope and think, some victory in this area, but I wrestled with anger and impatience for many, many years. Got some victory, but I still struggle with it. Sheena was laughing at this just the other day because this photograph explains it all. We were playing backgammon and it was trying to put it away. Now, which do you think I put away, the brown ones or the white ones? See, the problem is, is that this is a magnetic backgammon game. And when you're trying to put the stinking little pieces away, they resist. And you think it would be an orderly way, but no, they're all different. And so finally, I can't take it anymore. I just cram those suckers in there because I'm bigger than those little magnets and I can make it happen. I get ticked off. I get impatient. Now, that's kind of laughable. But the problem is, I want to do that to people, too. The problem is when things don't go my way, what I want to do is force it. What I want to do is push it through. What I want to do is gather whatever, whatever, any power that I might have and use it to get my way in it. Because if things don't go my way, I get mad. I get impatient. Now, by God's grace, I just kind of. Okay. Okay. That means I'm getting really mad when you do that. But, but th- that's my thing. And, and, and I felt bad about this for years and years and years. Until now I find out it's not my fault, it's God's fault. Turns out God made me this way. You see, in 2010, the scientists discovered the anger-causing gene. It's true. I'm going to get a T-shirt with this... It's, It's the gene HTR2B. So, the reason I cram those little white things in there is not because I'm impatient, not because I get frustrated, not because I'm immature. It's because George just made me mad. He gave me this HTR2B gene. I can't help it. It's just who I am. It's genetic. Genes can be turned on and off, though. Easy, easy. And so, you know, what what can I, it affects how I handle serotonin. So if I get mad and I lash out and I strike out and I get angry and I do all of these things, this gene which controls impulsive and violent behavior in human beings, that's the problem, not me. It's God who did this to me. And you can't blame me. James says, no, 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 Jones, no, no, no. You can't blame God even if there's a genetic component to it, let alone the modeling of my mum and dad and my grandparents and on and on back through as far as I've ever known. You can't blame God for reacting in a way that does not conform to his character because God does not entice us to sin. And God does not wish failure upon me. His desire is to bring about maturity in my life. His desire is to help and equip me to overcome this genetic disposition, this temptation to act in a way that Jesus doesn't act. To live in a way that's disobedient to the way that God's true word tells us we need to live. What James goes on to say is that, listen, let me explain to you, Alan, this is not you, God, to blame because of your genetic. This is because of the life cycle of desire in your life. The desire for things to go your way in your time with your end result. And so let's begin and take a look at this life cycle of desire. Because... This is where we need to do battle with society. This is where the fight really is. So we need to slow down here and think carefully because it's at this point that we are in conflict with society. Some of your translations will have the translation lust there, okay? And desire is a bit of a best word because it involves sexual temptation. And sexual identity and all of these different... It involves that, but it's much bigger than that, okay? So desire is a much bigger thing. Now here's the thing. Desires are not neutral. They are not neutral. The language that James uses to talk about desiring is the language of fishing and hunting. It's the idea that, that our desires are kind of stalking us. They, they, they want to lure us into a place that's wrong, into a place that's distant from God. They want to stalk us and hunt us. They want to, our desires want to take control of us and they want to enslave us and they want to form our identity. Desires want us to define ourselves and identify ourselves as our desire. Desire wants me to define myself as a man of anger. A man of force. A man who makes things happen. A man who's going to push through. You see, this is his desire. And it wants to identify me. And your desires in your life will want to identify you. They want to take control of you. They want to say that this is who you are. And this is how you can't help yourself to be. And so you have to follow this, this desire which you're going this is the opposite, the opposite to what the Scriptures say about our desires. And Christians through the ages have warned us about this. There's a quote on your, on your page there by, by C.S. Lewis, you know, from a couple of generations ago, great Christian thinking, this is what he has to say. From the statement about the psychological fact, I have an impulse to do so and so. Hey, okay, I've got this desire and I'm tempted to do this. I, you know, it, it's within me. It's genetic. I've got this H2R, B2B, whatever the thing is. From the statement about the psychological fact, I have an impulse to do so and so. We cannot, by any ingenuity, derive the practical principle, I ought to obey this impulse. It's like my old Bible college professor, Ron Fraser, used to say, the problem in society today is we think that we have to satisfy our every desire. We think that if it's within us, it must be good, therefore I'm going to do it. But now we come to Miriam. This is a long quote. Please. Please stick with it. I know it's going to be tough to stick with it, but I want you to put it in there so you can take it home and think about it some more. Because this is kind of what I understand the central issue here. Okay, this comes from a, a lecture she gives. Zondervan, in uh, academic. So the, the grammar here is not going to be formal because it's a, speak, it's a speaking, right? Which I tried to do word for word. So don't worry about, you know, the grammar of it, the idea. Okay, here we go says, in an age where our desires, how I'm inclined to be, are set up as the guiding principles by which people are encouraged to live their lives. That's our society. If it's in your heart, then you need to pursue it. You need to follow it. I don't think James's point in verses 13 through 15 can be stated strongly enough. Our desires are not neutral and ought never be the basis upon which we make our decisions. Just because our desires incline us in any given way, it does not give us the rationale by which we should act. What we desire does not tell us who we are. It doesn't, ident- doesn't define our identity. Instead, our desires are actively seeking to lure us, to tempt us, to sway us in their direction because they want to captivate us. If we allow them to, they will take over our lives and become our identity. And so we need to resist them. We need to constantly Reassert our new identities as children of God, not children of desire. We have been reborn, and our identity is to begin to live that new kingdom out as first fruits of God's kingdom. See, our identity is not my desire, what I'm inclined towards. First fruits that's our identity. Signaling the inbreaking of the full kingdom of God, even while we live in this present age. That's heavy stuff. Because it's saying that what James is saying is the opposite to what society tells us about how we form our identity and what things we should pursue. Now, I wasn't going to do this. But Scott kept bringing it up. He kept quoting this guy, some guy, Tom Wright. (laughs) Uh, Tom Wright says on this passage, none of us starts off with a pure internal kit of impulses, hopes, and fears. Look at this. If you are true to yourself, you will end up in a complete mess. That's the result of following your desires. You'll end up in a complete mess. The challenge is to take the self you find within and to choose wisely which impulses and desires to follow and which ones to resist. Desires are dangerous. Desires lead to destruction. Desires can lead to our lives and our societies becoming a mess. We have to figure out which desires to feed and which desires to resist. Because if we feed the wrong desire, James tells us, as right as it feels to us, as genetically predisposed it is towards us, we end up in sin. And a passing thought becomes a temptation. And if we feed it, so quickly becomes an act of sin. And so we have to take captive every thought for Christ... Because if we don't, if we don't figure this out, it ends up in death. If I feed anger, which I may well have a genetic predisposition towards, and certainly the family example of it, it will result in death. All kinds of death. Death of relationships, death of my heart death of my hope, death, maybe even spiritual death. Because death is the end of being a child of our desires. And whether or not we've had it by example or whether or not we are genetically predisposed towards it or whatever the case may be, if it is a desire that leads away from God's word, it ends in death. So then, James gives us an alternative. So, what lifestyle do I, life cycle do I need to be in then? What do I need to do? Verse sixteen: the life cycle of life. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good, we're just saying it. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, through the word of truth, through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. God's choice. Begins in verse 16 there. It's another, it's another one of those hinge verses which ties together this, this cycle of death which he tells us you need to pursue because if you feel it, you should do it. And the cycle of life. And he starts off by saying, listen, people, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about two things. Number one, don't be deceived about your desires. Don't be deceived about how much your heart pulls you in some certain direction. Don't be deceived by how many excuses I could come up with as to why I got angry and lost my temper and lost my cool and crammed in pieces of white plastic which had more control than I had with myself. Don't be deceived that that's that's just a small, no big deal thing, that you couldn't help it. Don't be deceived that if you follow that, it's going to be okay, even though it's against what God says. And number two, don't be deceived about the nature of God. A God who never sets us up to fail with tests and temptations. But instead is a God who is the source of all that is good. All that is beautiful. All that is friendship. All that is good food. All that is salvation. This greatest good that God gives that he gives us the gift of life. He chooses to give us life. Look at verse 18. He chose us to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all God creation. This is God's choice. To give us life. To give us what we need To resist those desires which lead to death and the destruction of society and and all of these things and instead to give us life through obedience to the word of truth. You see, obedience is going to play this large role in the book of James. And this is where we get messed up. This is why we think James is always taking us to the woodshed. This is why, you know, people hate James. It just feels like we're getting beat up all the time. It's because we fail to understand that, no, 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 what this is, is James saying, listen, you guys, this is the word of truth. This is the way of life. This is the cycle of life. If you obey this word of truth, if you live this way, in spite of what the world tells you, in spite of maybe even what your heart tells you, in spite of what your inclinations may be, in spite of what your desires may be, if you will just come this way it leads to life it leads to the cycle of life and we obey God's commands because they are the word of truth which leads to life because they are given to us by a God who is unchangeably good who doesn't shift like the shadows caused by the sun or the waning of the moon or a comet that comes by every few decades. No, it's a God who always intends good for you, who always wants to give life for you. A God that asks us to trust him and his word of truth, even if it feels like it's kind of crazy. So what do we do? if we don't understand the command? What, what happens if we think it through and we think, well, I don't, I don't see how this is death. I don't see how this is a problem. I don't see how this hurts anybody. But God says, don't do that. I, I, I just don't understand. As a matter of fact, to tell you the truth, that living according to God's command in this area of my life kind of feels like death, not like life. It kind of feels like I have to Die to myself. Why would we do it when it doesn't make sense to us? Well, a couple of reasons. One is we go back to the Garden of Eden, which the whole, the whole, the whole problem in the Garden of Eden was human beings decided, I will decide what is good and I will decide what is evil. That's the whole shoot match right there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's us saying, no, I want to be God, I'm going to say what's good, I'm going to be bad. So what happens then if if we're in that spot we think, you know, if I obey this command of God, it feels like I'm going to die. Why would I do it? It makes no sense. When we go back to verse 12. We do it because we love God. Even if we don't understand it. Even if it doesn't feel right to us. I do it because I love him, because I trust him. And so I obey him in spite of my desires, in spite of the modeling from my parents and maybe even HTR 2B. I do it because I love God and he is my good, good father. My good, good father who tells me who I am. My good, good father who chose us and gives us life through the word of truth in spite of ourselves. And so I trust him and I love him. And that will result not in death but in the crown of life. That will result in us becoming the first fruits of the kingdom of God. That is, that's God, this is who I am. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are my people. You are my beloved ones. And you are the first fruit of resurrection. You are the in-breaking. You are the deposit of the kingdom of God in this society, in this world. And through you, I will bring about the furtherance of my kingdom in all society. Even though society will push against you. And even though it's going to cause this massive clash Between you who follow me and what society said, you are my first fruit. You are the inbreaking of the kingdom and you will show what life is and you will be an invitation to other people to come to the father who is the good, good father, who gives good gifts, who gives the true identity that leads to eternal life. And so as we start into this book of James, and we get into this whole deal where it just sounds like it's one, you know, boom, boom, boom. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Remember I told you, like half the verses are commands. James wants to set it up and he says, listen, I want to ask yourself a question. Are you going to be a child of your desires? As right as they may feel. But are you going to be a child of your desires which go against the word of truth which ultimately will lead to death? Or are you going to be a child of God? This good, good father. Who tells us who we are. His daughters. His sons. The first fruit of resurrection. The kingdom of God. Come to earth. To dive into messes. And to carry the suffering of people. That they might experience the grace of Jesus and thereby gain eternal life. Whose child am I? child of my desires cramming in backgammon pieces? Or a child of God who takes on the suffering of other people for the sake of the glory of Jesus? In spite of how I might feel and maybe even how my genetics dictate I should be. Almighty God, this is tough stuff because it feels so right to just do what comes naturally to me in my particular desires, and I'm sure I, I'm sure it's true for all of us. How can things be so wrong when they feel so right? And yet, you know, Your Word is clear that that our, our desires are not neutral. They the lure us, they tempt us, they stalk us, they hunt us, they try to grab us and pull us in a way that's in opposition to the word of truth, form our identity as something other than children of God. But Lord, you give us your word of truth. You give us the living word, Jesus, to know and to love and to see what life is really like. You give us the written word to study your commands and your instructions and your guidance. And you give us your Holy Spirit. That as we partner with you, Holy Spirit, you transform us and you change us and you cause us to be able to defeat these desires which lead us away from the word of truth. So Lord, as I go and as we go through this week and as we face trials which carry with them temptation, help us remember that we, we do not need to be dictated, to two, by society, by our desires, by our genetics. And instead, we want the word of truth, your good gifts, to dictate not only what we do, but who we are. So teachers this week, Holy Spirit, to live out Our true identity as a child of God, not a child of desire. We pray through our precious Jesus. Amen.